0: Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government.
1: welcome back to another episode of commission ed the air force officer podcast i am colin slade i'm reed gan and we're your hosts for commission ed reed we've been at this for about 2 months now and we've been uh, very pleased with the response to the podcast it seems as though we are we're starting to fill or starting to meet that gap that we thought was there that there are people out there who are looking for this type of information in this specific type of format. And with that, we have started to receive a number of questions that we have already answered directly back to the original authors, but we felt that the information shared there was worth sharing with the broader audience. And the hope here as well is to encourage even more questions to be sent in so that those of you who are interested in pursuing a career as an officer in the Air Force or are already officers and are looking for greater and further development in your profession can get the help that you need, we are happy to provide that service.
2: Do you remember the first time we actually got a question, how exciting that was?
1: I do. In fact, I remember very specifically... Reed, you asked me the question somewhat rhetorically, but you asked the question, is this really happening? Are we actually reaching people?
2: Yeah, this is something we're both passionate about and we think it's important. And the fact that maybe we're reaching somebody and that we're providing some sort of service to someone is pretty exciting. So we really appreciate all the reviews, all the questions, keep them coming. We're doing the best we can to get to everything. And it's been really fun. So thank you to our audience.
1: Absolutely. So on that note, let's actually read some reviews, Read. We got a couple of reviews on iTunes that we'd like to share. The first one is titled, A Must Listen for Eager Cadets. This is a five-star review by Fixer115. The review says, I had the privilege of learning from Captain Slade at Air Force RTC field training and was absolutely delighted when I discovered he had started a podcast. Each episode contains a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that is extremely relevant to Air Force ROTC cadets. However, no matter who you are, you will gain a deeper understanding for what it means to be an Air Force officer after listening to this podcast. Thanks, Fixer. We really appreciate the review. And we hope that you will continue to get good information out of this podcast and share it with others. Yeah, the next one we have uh, is titled In-Depth from All-Around Adventure.
2: Another five-star review. This podcast takes a deep dive into the training and life of an Air Force officer. A great
1: listen for all aspiring officers and leaders. Appreciate the review all around adventure. Yeah. And let me just say something here about how iTunes and some of the other podcasting platforms or podcast directories work. When a podcast gets a large number of reviews and ratings in a short amount of time, that captures the attention of the algorithm and uh, how it decides who is going to be uh, placed in the in the higher rankings and in the new and noteworthy categories. So if you want to help get this message out about uh, what it means to be an officer, how you become one, the application of air power and the profession of arms, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform and make sure that more people are aware that that we are sharing this information out there. Exactly,
2: two things I want to say real fast. We're naturally we're human beings, we're people, and yes, it feels good to get reviews and you know make it feel like we're doing something meaningful. But the real important thing to us is that we're able to help people, and the more people that know about this, the more people we can reach, the more people that hopefully we can help.
1: Thanks for making that point, Reed. All right, now let's get into some of the questions. Like I said earlier, some of these we've already answered. We've already responded back to the author. But the information we felt is worth sharing with the broader audience. So, the first question came in from Instagram. The user said, I have reached out to my local commissioning recruiter twice over the last year, but I never got a response. What would you recommend as my first step in working towards commissioning? I have three more semesters at my university and I'm looking to attend OTS. Reed, this is a good one for you. What would you say?
2: All right. So again, first, super glad they reached out. Probably the first thing they need to know is that this is not an uncommon experience. Recruiters are incredibly busy. I recall very distinctly every time I was with my recruiter, their multiple phones were constantly ringing. So it's not uncommon at all. They're busy people. Next thing, three semesters is probably a little too far for a recruiter to actively begin working with you. It's a good time for you to begin to think about OTS, but you're just too far out. They have enough people that already have their degrees to begin working with. You're just too far. So that's my first thing. Uh, they probably you know, saw how far you had and just said, it's just too far. I'm not going to work with this person yet. The next thing I want to talk about is persistence. Twice in a year is simply insufficient to break through the noise. And also, how have you reached out? Is it just email, text, phone calls? Twice isn't going to be enough. Something I always recommend, if it's possible, physically show up where this person works. It's a lot harder to ignore you if you are standing on their doorstep than if you just left a voicemail once every six months. This persistence is super important. You're really going to have to work to get in touch with these very busy professionals that are our officer recruiters. When you do meet these folks, consider this your first interview. You are being evaluated. Are they going to spend their time to work with you? So think about the way you look. Think about the way you dress. Think about the way you behave. I recommend keeping your phone in your pocket. Anything you can do to show how serious you are about what you're doing is going to help you to get through, again, the noise of all the people that are trying to join our great service.
1: Yeah, this makes me think back to our previous episode about officer training school and You explained at the time, Reed, that pretty much everybody that was there had sacrificed a huge amount of time and effort uh, in order to be there. That was universally the case, yeah. This just goes to show that if you want to get to officer training school, you are probably, we'll say, you definitely will need to make similar sacrifices if you want to become an officer through officer training school. If
2: this is something you want, you're going to have to go out and get it. I know we said this in a previous episode, but it's not like, I don't know if it's a Hollywood thing or I'm not sure where this idea comes from. But this idea that if you just make a phone call and you've identified yourself as someone that the military may pursue, that you're just going to be hounded by recruiters until you acquiesce and cave in and, okay, I guess I'll go. That—that That is not going to happen you're going to have to go out and get this. You're going to have to latch on with both hands and show how much it means to you. So yeah, first tip to this listener, focus on getting done with school. Do well with school. That's going to be one of the first roadblocks is how good is your GPA? And then be persistent. Figure out a way to get in touch with this person if you really are serious
1: about it. Outstanding. Thanks, Reed. All right, our next question. This one came in from a Redditor. We have recently started showing up on Reddit. There is a very vibrant community of uh, cadets and people interested in being an officer on the Reddit community. So you can find us there as well as uh, submit your questions like the following. I'm a senior this year and wondering if there's any discrepancy between getting chosen for a scholarship based on when you submit your application. This person goes on to ask, is there a difference between the type of scholarship that you get based on the, the point of time that you apply for it? And I responded back, not really. It's not like they only award type one scholarships at the first board and only type seven at the last.
2: Colin, could you uh, help out the non-ROTC guy? What's a type one and what's a type seven?
1: For sure. So type one scholarships are the full ride four-year scholarships. No limit on the amount of tuition that can go anywhere that there is a Air Force ROTC detachment. So if you can get into Harvard, this scholarship, this type one scholarship will pay Full tuition at Harvard for four years. Whereas a Type 7, on the other hand, is a, a full tuition scholarship to an in state school where you are a resident. So if you are a resident of California and you are awarded a Type 7 scholarship, it will pay f- full tuition for four years at a state school in California. A, a Type 7 does not travel across state lines, and so you will need to keep it there. However, you can convert a four-year type seven scholarship into a three-year type two scholarship. A type two scholarship can travel across state lines. However, it will be capped at 18000 a year for that university. Awesome.
2: All right, another Instagram question. Any tips on how to contact an officer recruiter? I've been trying to schedule a meeting with a local recruiter who told me it may prove difficult to get in touch with an officer recruiter. And just as we did with the previous question about this, absolutely, it's going to be the case. One thing I didn't mention in the other part that we talked about is if you're being unsuccessful in reaching the recruiter in your geographic region, you are able to contact other officer recruiters who have other regions. There's no reason you can't. Uh, So if you are, let's say you're in a highly populated area that has a lot of people trying to join the military and your officer recruiter, is just never answering the phone. Perhaps you can try another geographic area. So just an option for you. But yes, these are busy people. I would sound professional. I would sound serious. I would have everything ready. Uh, Those are going to be things that will help you get through the noise. If your degree is done, you have no debt, you have no major issues that are going to be in the way, that's going to help. So those are some recommendations trying to get in touch with these very busy people.
1: Outstanding. Our next question came into our email, Air Force Officer Podcast at gmail.com. It says, I was introduced to podcast by one of my good friends, and while in the process of signing up for Air Force Reserve, I searched and found your channel. Awesome. Thank you for sharing our podcast and reaching out to us. They go on to say, My question to you is how different is the process between going from civilian to active duty OTS versus civilian to the reserves? All right. So I'm
2: going to take this one. This is pretty different. So I'm going to do my best caveat here. I worked with a lot of people who are in our reserve components, both guard and reserve. And a lot of my students were in both of these components, but I am not. So take a little grain of salt with all this. But as I understand the reserve recruiting process, let's start with what are the reserves? So in the United States, we have two reserves. We have our guard component, which is primarily responsible to the states that they reside in. Then we have a reserve component. And our reserve component is uh, federally controlled, but still not active duty. So those are our two reserve components, the guard and reserve. In order to get hired by a guard or reserve units, you actually apply for an existing position and then are hired. It's not too unlike recruiting or getting hired in any other career. The difference is you have to be qualified for that position. So if you're a civilian and you're trying to get hired to be a pilot in the reserve, you're going to have to be qualified as an officer and a pilot. So how does that work? Well, there's a couple of websites that we can list in the show notes that will list openings. Very often these openings are filled by people who are already in and are just looking for another job say I'm a captain in the reserve and I've been at my unit for a while but it's it's not quite what I'm looking for I'm looking for something else I can go to this website and find a position another option though is for civilians or enlisted to apply for those positions these units are going to conduct interviews and if they call you in for an interview you're going to go and if they think that you're a good fit for that location they will offer you a position If you are fully qualified in all of the ways that we've talked about, you know how do you become an officer, you have to be medically qualified, and all those sorts of things we've already talked about, and they offer you a position, that is, in a sense, your selection board. You will be selected, and then your application goes up to the headquarters of either Reserve or the National Guard, and they will find a training date for you at OTS. So it's a little bit different process versus civilian to active duty with civilian to active duty. You work through a recruiter, the recruiter puts your package up to headquarters, air force, which holds a big central selection board. That central selection board looks at all the packages, decides who they want. They pick you for a specific career field, and then they work to get you into training. So I know that was a little bit hard to maybe understand, but it's a different process. For Garden Reserve, you're hired for a specific unit to do a specific job in a very similar way to being hired at a normal company. With Active Duty, you're hired by Big Blue Air Force in a big pool of people for a specific job, meaning career field, and then they go from there.
1: One thing that I'd like you to clarify, Reed, is the need to go through a commissioning source either to get on active duty versus the reserve. If you already have your degree
2: and you wish to commission guard, reserve, or active duty, you must become an officer. And the only source to do that for civilian applicants, for prior enlisted, and for people joining the reserve is to go through officer training school. Unless they are already a commissioned officer, in which case they're transferring between those components.
1: Yeah, and just clarifying that the end goal is officer training school but the the path to get there is different whether you're aiming for active duty, reserve or service in the guard. Exactly. All right, thanks Reed. So our next question is also from Reddit. Had a a Redditor say they were expecting to get 32 Echo, 32 E, which is the civil engineer, AFSE or Air Force specialty code uh, next year. Uh, any words? How did you like it when you commissioned? So Reed, I'll take this one because I am a civil engineer. Very good. Go for it. All right. Air Force civil engineering, no offense to Reed or anybody else, is the best job in the Air Force. Hands down, it is the best job. You get to go everywhere. You get to touch everything. And while you are doing all that, you are spending 90% of the wing commander's annual budget. It's awesome. You get to lead airmen straight out of the gate. You'll be placed in charge of people and working with the enlisted immediately. And you may actually use your degree, unlike some other career fields in the Air Force. You may actually do real engineering. You promote and win awards well above the average because engineers are awesome. Best job.
2: So you say. That's all right. I'll just let you have that one,
1: Colin. Well, why don't you uh, tell me, Reed? We'll give you the platform. Why don't you tell me why Intel is the best job in the Air Force?
2: Because no one goes anywhere without me telling them why they should or shouldn't go there. They don't do anything without Intel. Promise, no one gets in a jet and flies anywhere unless they know what's going on, and that's my job. It feels good to tell people what to do. (laughs) And why to do it. Yep. In all seriousness, though, we can't fly. We can't do our job if we don't have an airfield. We don't have an airfield if we don't have CE. We don't have an airfield if we don't have security forces. So, you know, I I just want to put in a little plug. If this is what you want to do and you find a career field that suits you, go for it. I joined as a chemist and I enjoyed it. But then when I was crossed over into Intel, I found my true calling. So whatever it is that you know really gets you going and, and you're excited about, we need those people.
1: Yeah. And actually, Reed, that is a great transition into our next question because we had somebody reach out and want to know more about being an Air Force chemist. So why don't you uh, take us through that one?
2: Sure, so they had a couple questions about where they could work, what the kind of work is like, and you know what's the day to day? Are they going to work with civilians are they going to work with enlisted? what What's kind of a day in the life. So one of the questions was, where were you stationed? So I was stationed in Patrick Air Force Base in Florida. It's on the space coast right near Cape Canaveral. Great location, very near Coco Beach. I really enjoyed my time there. It was a great unit. Primarily, Anyone in science engineering falls underneath a larger umbrella of acquisitions. In other words, how do the Air Force buys the stuff that we use to conduct
1: operations? Not to be confused with Air Force civil engineering, which falls under combat support, not acquisitions. Yep.
2: And so what I mean acquisitions, I mean, if we're going to buy a fighter aircraft, that is an acquisitions program. And there are a lot of pieces and parts on that, and they all have to work together. They all have to be compliant with the fuel. They have to be compliant with environmental requirements. They have to be compliant with sensitivities to radar or whatever the untold set of requirements that these things have to meet. And acquisitions professionals are the ones managing that system. So scientists, chemists fall underneath this larger umbrella. So largely a lot of what they do helps the Air Force buy things. Their question was, I work as an analytical chemist. Uh, Well, in the Air Force, and at least in my short experience, there was hardly any chemistry work happening, yet having that background was pretty essential. In other words, I worked on monitoring the world for nuclear test ban treaty compliance. I was not a physicist or a nuclear engineer, but I was a scientist, and that definitely helped me not look like an idiot when I was talking to my counterparts. So my chemistry and biology played a part in me understanding the background of the science that was going on, but I didn't really use my science per se. And that is probably going to be the case for the majority of scientists in the Air Force. You're going to work with a lot of civilians. There are no enlisted scientists or enlisted engineers. So you're primarily going to be working with uh, civilians and a couple other officers. Some locations that you can be stationed there All in the United States, there are no overseas locations specifically for the career field of scientists, specifically to chemistry. So if you really want to live overseas, you're probably going to need to do some other type of job, be a recruiter or uh, be an exec or an aide or something of that nature. Common locations, there's a number of sites in Florida. You could be stationed at Edwards Air Force Base in California. Uh, Ohio has a lot of locations, but overall, not too bad of a selection when it comes to jobs. If you want to look up some more, the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center has a lot of locations and that's a, a pretty big hiring authority for a lot of the scientists in the Air Force. So overall, if you want to be a chemist, then absolutely pursue it. Just know you're going to be working a little bit more business type things than
1: perhaps uh, you would be otherwise. Thanks for explaining that, Reed. I think it's important that we acknowledge there are a wide variety of uh, career fields that are in the Air Force but we should re-emphasize the point that across the board no matter what career field you are in, your primary duty as an officer in the Air Force is to be an officer. Yes, you will have a career field, be a chemist, be it engineer, be an Intel officer, be a pilot or whatever the case may be. but your primary duty is to be an officer, to manage, to lead, to make sure that the mission is being accomplished and that the people are being taken care of. Yeah, something to think about. If you decide to make a career of this,
2: by 10, maybe 12 years in, by and large, you're not going to be actually doing your job as your career field dictates. You're going to be leading the people who are, but you're going to be a leader of people, almost exclusively. Yes, there are some people who manage to stay tactical, as we say, But overwhelmingly, by about that 10-year point, you're going to start transitioning to only being a leader. So if the actual doing of this job is the most important thing, boy, for those first 10 years, that really matters. And yes, do it well, become extremely proficient, but it's just something to think about. Like you said, Colin, we're leaders first.
1: Yep. And we hope to be here with you all along the way for the next 10 years, 20 years while you go through your career field, we're going to try to be here with you definitely in the air force we hope to be there with you and we'll see about this podcast you can help us be there by sending us your questions by leaving us a rating review engaging with us again on the on social media instagram twitter facebook now reddit or send us your questions or or comments through email Force officer podcast at gmail.com we hope to uh, interact with you there anything else you want to say reed
2: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of
0: Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.